Welcome to episode 12 of The Co Show, another half hour of cross-generational daddy-daughter chat about important topical issues. Uh, We're recording on a slightly different day and time of the day this morning because uh, my darling daughter Tony was a little unwell on Sunday when we normally record. So we're on a Tuesday morning, the uh, week after the UK was opened up. And um, a couple of days after the announcement that uh, the government is going to give a support package worth £1.5 billion to the performing arts. Something, I imagine, Tony, which becomes as great a surprise, surprise <laughs> shock, or to you. Yeah. yeah, I'm absolutely shocked and feeling very, very um, happy about it. So you, you've actually been very much part of this campaign. So why don't you just talk about that a moment? Because I think that's a really yeah, fascinating. Yeah, I guess I've been, I've been one of something like 17 people that have helped um, lobby government. However, my role has not been specifically lobbying. I'm actually the, uh, the one person out of the 17 whose role hasn't been lobbying, but my, my role has been focused on generating donations so I've, I've been lucky that I've kind of like had a bit of a nicer role but those other 16 people have been collecting data to keep feeding back from all the music venues and feeding it back to the government and basically saying look we're going to lose um, we're going to lose our culture in the UK if we don't protect it the music industry brings in 5.2 billion annually um, to the UK's economy um, and we were at risk of losing at least, I know at least 800 music venues, um, but also huge cultural art spaces, um, independent theatres, independent cinemas. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and those are things that we are most known for in the UK. I mean, I hate Churchill, but didn't he say that that um, that quote about culture being the pure essence of being human? Like, if we're not fighting for culture, then he said a lot of fantastic things, and you really shouldn't hate him because you're free because of him. Uh, he's also a racist pig, but yeah, well, he may have had some racism in him, but then so did so did your grandparents, so did my grandparents. So it's a, yeah, but they weren't responsible for starving hundreds of thousands of people. Don't and get me started. Don't get me started. Now look, on a, let's keep this positive. Um, on a on a positive note, congratulations on the success. Really, congratulations on the success of your campaign. How do you see this playing out? Because I. Um, heard on the news last night that a big chunk of this money, because it does seem like a huge package, but a big chunk of this money is going to be gobbled up by the likes, you know, the big icons, the big well, crown jewels, as they call them, like Royal Albert Hall. And It know. will, it will, but they've actually already separated it. So at least 800 million will go to um, independent cinema, music venues, and theatres um and out of that 800 million we could possibly get 100 million for music venues 
Um, and that's double the, the relief package that we actually asked for. We asked for 50 million to save everyone. Um, so 100 million is amazing. So that's very possible. The, the only thing is, is that we don't have the finer details yet and it's very probable that it's going to go through Arts Council. Arts Council aren't the most accessible um, body. I don't know if you call them body, but like body to go through. Um, their, their application process is really difficult. Um, but the positive thing is that they will probably, well, they are, they will have to be consulting with Music Venue Trust, who is the charity that I work for, um, because they have the relationships with the venues and also all of the data that's been provided for the government in order to make this possible. Because Music Venue Trust have really led the way in terms of lobbying government and guiding government. Um, but we'll probably get that guidance tomorrow, I think. Okay, uh, well, that's going to be interesting. Be, but at the moment... I think everyone's just absolutely stoked that that we know lots of places will be saved. Yeah, well, I, I hope that that turns out to be the case. Um, I think the devil is going to be in the detail as it so often is. Oh, God, how many times have I heard that line? Sorry, but I think it's... A, what? Where uh, do you read all of your information? Because I swear to God, like, it's your generation of people just, like, spew out the words that come in, in newspapers, like, Come on. Devil in the detail and unprecedented times. <laughs> like, <sighs> Come on. I, I heard, do you know what? I was interviewed on BBC yesterday. Yeah. And I listened to like 12 BBC interviews yesterday with other people in, who like work in venues and stuff like that. And they just kept saying devil in the detail. And I was like, don't you guys have your own brains? Can't you think hmm. of a different line? I maybe point. I maybe have an opportunity to point out some of your little hobby horses that you, you and your generation use repeatedly, um, like end of policing and all this other. Sort of That's rubbish. not like a line. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's not an end of line. No, I don't know. It wasn't a very good example, but there are many I can tell you. Anyway, I thought you'd be glad that I was actually knocking the government for a change. I think I think that this is has not been well thought through. I, I think it's a I think it's a headline grabbing thing that makes people happy for a while, uh, saying that they're going to give one point five billion. I would like to see the detail because the detail is everything. And if but also just, saying, will it be enough as well? Well, I don't think it'll be enough at all. And also, as I say, I don't think it's been thought through. I mean, how it. <laughs> You can't just, if, if, if venues cannot put on shows, they're not going to have any revenue. They're going to continue to not have any revenue. So how long do you go on just shelling out money? Well, I think that this money will only cover us until the end of the year, if we're lucky. It might only cover us to, till the end of September, October. Um, but it will give us some breathing room to look at how we can change our businesses to offer something online. Well, um, I, I hope so. And the ones that are able to adapt are the ones that will survive. But I hope so. This, we've been in a state of limbo since mid-March. Yeah. So it's something, you know, yeah. it was something that we weren't expecting. I don't think I've ever lobbied anything that's gone through. <laughs> well, you've done well here. Anyway, folks, you're listening to The Co Show. And uh, last week, which was episode 11, we talked about, we discussed what we 
referred to as a, a descent into lawlessness and disorder. Uh, this uh, past weekend, we had the 4th of July in the UK, which was billed as the UK's Independence Day. I think that's probably why it was chosen as a sort of marketing slogan that could be attached to the opening up of the economy. And what I would like to discuss with, with Tony right now is how she feels about the opening up generally. Are we moving too fast? Was that too early? What does she think about uh, you know, the fact that uh, young people particularly seem to be pretty much ignoring, or in a lot of cases, ignoring the uh, distancing requirements? Um, how do you feel, Tony? Well, I don't think it's young people. I think it's everyone. I think it's a, it's all ages of people that are not. Uh, I, I have very conflicting feelings about it. You know, when I see pictures of Soho, you know, where the hot the streets were full, I feel cross because of obviously I feel people will get sick again. But the other side of me empathises because I think, wow, we've all been so starved of human affection and 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 attention. F- for months now that people are just desperate to embrace their friends and have a drink and just feel some sense of normality. So I empathize and also it annoys me, but you know, the whole, the whole thing for me is I just feel like there hasn't been very good leadership or clear direction or clear guidance. I mean, even if you look at the guidance that we have today, it's all very vague. It's, you know, even specifically with what I was saying about, um, music venues. I'm sorry, I have to keep referring to that, but that is really the only thing I have solid um, information on. The inf- the information isn't clear. You know, I, I, I would agree, and I would want to just comment on something that you said, um, and I want to agree with you and say how much I'm disappointed by it, and that is, um, you meant, you referred to the Soho scene. Now, the Soho scene that you're referring to, I, I imagine, is the scene where everyone was out in the street, distancing was certainly not being observed, drinking was happening in, you know, uh, reveling and drinking, fine, understand that. But there was a policeman up in a sort of like a watchtower, I think, <laughs> best way of describing it, uh, behind behind a screen, and he was, and it was remarked on by the news reporter that I was listening to. Look, this, there's all this breaking the rules going on, and this policeman is doing nothing. Well, there probably wasn't much he could do. He was he was a lone bobby um, in an in an ivory tower. What could he do? But I contrast that with the brutal. Uh, behavior by the police who went into a council estate and broke up a party um, you know with with some it has to be said some brute force being used and you can't help but comment on the unequal policing there mm-hmm. so I mean this is probably music to your ears but I was quite stunned to have that shown in stark juxtaposition, these two scenes. Well, I think that it, what Tracy's, um, my older sister's made a comment, obviously, on on your Facebook about when you pay, posted the policing episode. And she said that she was talking about a um, someone who'd been interviewed 
by the BBC or something and on his way home he'd been stopped by the police and he'd been stopped with such force like a smashed window and then and then they took his camera um and he'd literally come back from from an interview about about racism um and to to do with the police and uh she made the comment that it's a, a systemic problem and not individual officers. This is where we're dealing with a system that's broken, not, not individual bad cops. Um, and I think that is the problem. You know, there's this disparity between uh, um, middle class and working class, or, you know, maybe, maybe it's not class is not the right word, but just what you've, there's the scene that you've just described um, yeah, the, the, um, yeah, I did see that, that comment. Um, I, there is actually one of those hobby horses that I would have liked to have referred to, the systemic racism, because I don't even know what that means. I mean, you know, if it you're saying... It means built on racism. It's not, a, it's not a term or a but phrase. The police are not, is not a system built on racism. I, I think we went over this with regard to the UK, and I thought you... you um, you, you actually remarked on the fact that you hadn't realized that that was the way that the UK police started. The UK police started as a community initiative. Um, that was the systemic doesn't have to mean from the very beginning. Well, you said, you said a system based on racism. And I mean, I, I just think that that is a cheap line. I mean, it's, it, it, it's, it's not, I don't recognize that at all in the police force. What I do recognize, and I saw this last night on channel four news. I mean, there were, Again, I was quite shocked at the ways um, some uh, um, black people were being treated, and and they highlighted it really, really well. I mean, you know, the way that they were just being targeted for stop and search um, because of the colour of their skin and the fact that they were driving a nice car. Mm-hmm. Uh, now you can say, well, yeah, there you go, systemic racism. But I, I don't think the police, the no, system, profiling is actually a thing. It's, it's, it's something that they came up with, racial profiling. Yeah, well, I, I, I think that the, you know, as I said, our grandparents were were racist. Racism actually. Any power, Dad? That's the difference. No, I know, but the point is that it, it is a moving zeitgeist that that. Uh, it fortunately is improving all the time and we've got to do better. Um, but, and, and this is where I think that, you know, trying to eradicate our history by pulling down statues, etc., is just totally the wrong way to, to go. These were, these, these were normal. This was a normal part of life in the times that these people lived in. And racism comes from something natural. You know, you know what I mean by that? No. Okay, let me explain. R- racism is is something that is really, I, or, or I, the way I see it, um, is that it's something that is in de- is intrinsic in our makeup because we we have a survival mechanism, and people who don't who who we regard as not being part of our tribe are people to be feared because yeah. in the, in olden times they would kill you mm-hmm. or it was perceived that they would kill you. They would. It's called pack mentality. Okay. Yeah. They would kill you. They would rape your, your women. They would, they would kill your children. Um, and so you see somebody who, who looks like they're from another tribe and you, you know, there's almost an instant, well, there's a fear 
and there's an instant wanting to protect, kill, you know, that that's where it comes from. And we now live obviously in a, in, in a much more civilized world with rules and, and, you know, this is what we are trying to improve, but we're actually having to deal with something. And you could say the same thing about the treatment of women too, right? Yeah. You know, oh, of any, um, any I mean, look at the, it was oppression. quite, it was quite yeah. normal for women not to be allowed to own anything, not being allowed to have a say in the running of the country. You know, it was right. quite You're normal. Preaching to the choir, <laughs> right? But, but what I'm trying to get, what I'm trying to say is, is, is that we have to be a bit forgiving of the human race. We have to be a bit forgiving, and not, you know, be so down on ourselves and say, oh, they, these people in history were disgusting. They had a very, very different experience to us. And I, 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 think I make a comment that brings us a bit back into the 20th century. Sure. Um, through lockdown, you would expect there to be an increase in police activity, you know, because of the rules, you know, trying to keep everyone safe. You know, they were supposed to be handing out fines for people if they were socialising in groups outside of their bubble and, and stuff like that. There has been zero police um, presence in Hastings at all absolutely none yeah well. and I find that really peculiar given what's been going on you know it, it, like we've, we've spoken about the fact that but I, I'm working for this charity and the two two people that um CEOs whatever that they live in Barcelona and the their experience in in Spain is that the the police have been literally on their doorsteps all the time if anyone's tried to leave the property not for um, an essential reason they've been fined you know and to some extent that ha well it's definitely helped keep the infection rate down but in my local area there has been zero police presence I, ha I can't even see police anywhere you know I've walked around town and I haven't seen anyone and it, it makes me wonder where they all are what do you think the reason for it is uh, part of me wonders whether they've been pulled into the city well they're not here <laughs> and where are they well, I, I think that another thing that we've that we've allowed ourselves to slide into is to just continue to diminish the police uh, police's access to money. Uh, so they don't have the ability. They don't have the people. They don't have the they resources. They have some people, and I'm not seeing even some people. I'm talking about. I haven't seen a police car or police in Hastings in months at yeah. all. Well, the, even, I've not even heard a siren. No, uh, the, the, I, well, I can't say we don't hear sirens in London because we do, but, but uh, I hardly see police really. I mean, I see them at the Kensington Palace up the road, you know, as I do my daily walk, because I always walk by there and they're, they're just chatting, holding machine guns, but just chatting. And, uh, you know, anything could be happening outside the gates of the palace and they wouldn't intervene because I've seen it, you know, I mean, they just don't, they're just, that's their job, look after the royal family up there and that's all they do. So they're in silos really. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of people obviously working behind the scenes on anti-terrorism and that sort of thing. And I think they probably do a very good job of that. But in terms of everyday Bobby on the beat type, community policing it's pretty much disappeared and you see i mean i see in my you know driving experience people just are mad on the roads 
Mm. I mean, frighteningly, just fright because they know they can get away with it now. Yeah, they know that, that, you know, they're being opportunists because there aren't, they, there isn't the police presence there. It's a very conflicting feeling for me because obviously I'm pro taking money from the police and putting it into the um, community safety systems um, or looking at those as options. And but the other side of me is programmed to think, God, we really need police around here. Where the hell are they? We do, you know, and we, but, but we like need a, we need well-resourced police, and we need them to your points, which I'm supporting today. We need them to be properly trained, mm. really, really well trained. Um, and you know, there I know from my own personal friends that there are very good police people with their hearts absolutely in the right place, but there aren't perhaps enough of them. And uh, you know. I'd like to see that change. Anyway, do you think that the opening up is going too fast? Do you think it, I mean, we've, we've heard this morning that there are some pubs that opened that have had to reclose because of positive COVID results. Well, I think also just that the, they've, um, the fear, I think that they've been overwhelmed by the the amount of people that have gone, gone and, and the fact that they've been shouting or singing or, you know, they've not been maintained because you can't make drunk people socially distance. No, you can't. You can't. Their inhibitions are down and they just want human contact. Um, do you think that, do you think, if I could just ask you this question, do you think that opening pubs and bars was really the right sort of first step to take? No, absolutely not. I don't. Because I mean, um, surely when we're, we know that we've still got a huge problem and I think leadership needs to come out and make that very clear. We've, got a, we've still got a huge problem. The virus is still out there. It's still killing people. It's going to go on killing people. And there's a very, very, well, I would say there's a certainty of a second wave, really. Yeah, no, I would agree with you with that. But I so, think that, that with pubs, I think that, that they generate so much income that it's hard to say no to millionaires that need that are pressuring the government to reopen but so are theaters theaters are open owned by millionaires too and they you know they're not being they're not being allowed to open yeah because that we're being told we can't open theaters and music venues because singing is seen as a dangerous um act I don't know. No, it's no, singing, shouting, talk, you know, talking yeah. in an animated no, way. It, it, they have specified singing. Yeah, um, no. and, and our point was there's a very fine line between singing and speaking loudly. Mm. Um, but they're saying that you need to have like six meters between a singer and other band members, but also a singer and the audience. Um, and... Um, when when Tom and I walked into town at the weekend, we walked past a pub where these older men were s embracing each other, singing really loudly, and one of them had a coughing fit mm. and like spluttering everywhere. And I'm not, um, I'm not, um, what's the word? I'm not like condemning uh, him. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm not uh, exaggerating. Sorry, oh, I'm okay, exaggerating. Sorry. <laughs> he was like really like doubled over and like spluttering everywhere. Right. And I was just like, this is not good. This is not, you know, this is too soon. Um, you know, I would rather see beauty salon, you know, you know, beauty salons haven't been allowed to open, neither mm. have tattoo studios. And they have the utmost cleanliness. Because and that seems daft, doesn't it? Yeah, their I mean. industries require it. I don't know how they can open a hair salon and not open a nail salon or a, be or a beauty parlor or a tattoo studio. 
where they all of you know all of their processes are perfect because they have to be for in order for them to have a license in order for them to, to have clients um so it seems wild to me that they're restricting some people from opening but allowing bars and pubs i i think that doing takeaway services worked really well um so they've been allowing bars and pubs to do like takeaway beers or or you know takeaway food and boxes and stuff like that and tom and i have uh, every week we have um supported our local microbrewery who do pizza and stuff like that we've, we've been buying pizza but mostly but you know tom will get a couple of beers or whatever um and i think that that's really really helped and it's meant that they can actually the benefits of takeaway is they can do a, a much faster turnover because people aren't sitting down and they aren't needing to be served um so they're able to just like push out orders so i i would have been in favor of that uh, there being guidance for that to happen for a bit longer rather than actually allowing people to come in and, and, and sit at pubs and stuff like that. Yeah. I'm, I must say that I, I, I'm very, very, very worried for the economy. You know, we, 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 there is this huge problem and we're, we're not through it and we're not really going to get through it until we get a, a vaccine. That seems to be, from all everything I'm hearing, that seems to be something that is highly unlikely until well into next year. Has there been any news on it? Because uh, yeah, I mean, I follow at the beginning of 2021. I follow it pretty pretty closely. I mean, the the thing is that there, there are a number of teams throughout the world who are working on it. Oxford's doing you know, doing very well. The Chinese are probably out ahead in front of all. But what I'm hearing over and over and over again is that vaccine development is very, very problematic. So you think that you've made a, you've made a you know, significant progress, you trial it, and then you find, uh-oh, that needs tweaking, you know, it's not, it's not quite right. And this, I'm hearing, I heard Bill Gates saying that if all the lights are, you know, if, if we don't have any of those problems, we could see it by the end of this year. We could see a vaccine by the end of this year. Developed, that's not distributed, that's developed. But the likelihood of that, based on previous experience, is tiny because of these problems, these bumps along the way. So you know, if, when I put all of this together, it seems to me we'll be well into next year before a vaccine gets to you know, the population at large. Mm. And now they're even talking about a lot of people are going to refuse to take it. I just quickly looked it up and that was the first thing that came up. What was that? That uh, the percentage of people that nearly one in six Britons will refuse COVID-19 vaccine. Yeah, so that's not a great, not a great sign, is it? No, it's not. And also, I don't know if you've seen, but um, uh, I saw an article yesterday that said that there was a case of bubonic plague out in China. No, and I hadn't heard that, no. There is another risk of a flu-type virus that is born from pigs. So they're having This is not great food. news, is it? We're not, we're, not brightening up the, we're not brightening up our uh, audience today. <laughs> no, I know, but I, I watched it. Sorry, I read it yesterday. You just reminded me of it. I read it yesterday, and I just thought, wow, we are in trouble. <laughs> we really need to... 
Well, I think we need to find a new normal, but I think that that normal has to be guided very clearly from the government. And yeah. we aren't getting that clear guidance. And that is why people are misinterpreting. I mean, the fact that we can't even get any clear guidance on whether you're allowed to do streaming or not inside venues. And it's kind of like, that should be like a really like yes or no situation. Yes, you can do it. No, you can't. Or if you do do it, you have to do it. But it should be the same for every industry. It's like they should bring in an expert from every industry and just say, we need you to guide us on what is possible and what isn't possible. And then they need to put that information out there and make it really clear and really dumb it down for the public. But it's just all been so vague. I mean, the fact that we've been in limbo for four months, it's just, yeah. When the weather turns cold and we get into the autumn, the spectre of a second wave is terrifying, especially if it's combined. You just mentioned the possibility of a flu, especially if it's combined with another flu, you know, having to deal with those, maybe those two things. That would be a nightmare scenario if that happened. I mean, seasonal flu is bad enough as it is, isn't it? Absolutely, yeah. But, um, you know, I, I'm, I, I must say I'm very, very worried about all these things because there doesn't seem to be the there doesn't really seem to be the facing up to the huge changes that we need to make as a race. You know, like, for instance, stop mistreating animals, um, you know, keeping them in, all packed together, you know, chucking tons of antibiotics in them so that we can eat them and, you know, letting them live in filth and then sticking them in chlorine so that we can eat them. I mean, Come on, this is this is a obvious recipe for disaster ultimately. Mm. So you know we have to change those things. And we were going to talk um, about climate change, which is another aspect of this, which we can't, we have, certainly haven't got time to now. There's only really time for, for us to wrap up now. So, listeners, thank you for supporting us. We love the feedback that we get from you. Um, you've been listening to the Co Show. Please take a look at us if you go to www w.tony with a y co.com you'll go direct direct to our buzz sprout platform where you can see all our previous episodes and please uh, do follow the uh, links on that site to comment by twitter or other means and you can also see us on video today in our pajamas <laughs> heard of a pj party we're actually having a pj podcast today stay well everybody thanks for listening Uh, goodbye from me in Kensington and goodbye from Little Tone Little Tone thank you see you next week bye for now bye